Hello everyone, welcome to the MRKH podcast. Our full intro has its very own episode, so please do go check it out. For now, a little hello. I'm Ella May from Vava Womb, and this is Mind Over MRKH, a podcast for and by the people with Mayer Rokotansky Kusterhauser Syndrome. You can support the podcast and the work we do directly by heading to mindovermrkh.org. This podcast is receiving a regular sponsorship to keep us going strong from our wonderful friends and UK charity MRKH Connect. We hope you find some comfort in joining our stigma-free MRKH chats with some true MRKH warriors around the globe. You are not alone. I'm really excited to have Elizabeth from Nigeria on the podcast. Hello, Elizabeth. Hi, Ella. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. I've just finished work and I know you're still at work as well, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I'm still at work and I have a lot of people around me. So I hope, I hope they don't interrupt. Whereabouts do you work, Elizabeth? Oh, I work in um, a gaming firm. Um, we place games and um, like just a gaming office, place games for people, like football games and the rest. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It's so nice to meet you. And me and Elizabeth sort yeah. of met at the recent global MRKH meeting, which was lovely. Um, but I just wanted to, I guess, for you to just introduce yourselves properly to everyone and maybe tell us a bit about your MRKH diagnosis story in Nigeria, if that's okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm Elizabeth. Um, I live in Nigeria. I'm from Nigeria, the eastern part of Nigeria. Um, I'm 26 years. I found out I was diagnosed with MRKH. Um, properly, I was diagnosed with MRKH last year. And last year? But, yeah. So you were 25? Yeah. Oh, wow. But um, I knew there was a problem when I was 14. So I went to the hospital. Um, Nigeria is a, is a pretty large country in mm. Africa, but not as developed as other countries outside Africa. So I went to the hospital when uh, my, my mom took me to the hospital when she found that I wasn't having my monthly period. So the doctors just told us after some scan and the rest, they said um, they don't know what it is, but there is no womb and there is no, um, the vaginal canal is not, um, is not as it is supposed to be. So with that information, Nigeria is a pretty religious country. Mm. So with that information, series of prayer, 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 hoping for a miracle. Um, as the doctor actually didn't place a name to it because he didn't know what it was. So I kept making my research and doing a lot of research. I got to, I found out MRKH Connect. Mm-hmm. Then I spoke with, um, I forgot her name, I've forgotten her name, but Charlie? She runs MRKH Star. I've forgotten her name. 
but she runs MRK star. I spoke with her. Then I started getting more information about MRK. Then it was last year that a doctor was just like, it's either MRK or um, vagina or genesis, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So um, I was like, if it was vaginal genesis, it would be a different case from MRK. Vaginal genesis, um, I think they have a womb, but they have painful um, penetration and the rest. Mm -hmm. MRK is absence of womb and the rest. So that was how I got to find out. But still today, a lot of doctors, when you tell them, okay, this is what I have, this is, how, this is what happened to me. Whenever I tell them, like, I, sometimes I have stomach upset, I go to the hospital and the doctor is like, when was your last menstruation? And I'm like, I don't menstruate, I have a market. They'll be like, what is the market? Oh, yeah. Having to so repeat people, yourself all the time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And the problem is here, people, um, they, kind, they kind of um, look down on those with infertility. So those with infertility, they don't come out to speak about it. So everybody's always in the hiding. So I was feeling, okay, if someone had come out to speak about this, then maybe others might have been informed. And when you talk about your problem like this, they'll be able to diagnose easily. Mm -hmm. But because of how infertility issues and cases have, have been treated in Nigeria, always silent, everybody. Once you notice you have infertility issue, return to Jesus mm. and start prayers. So um, sometimes we neglect the medical aspect. We just feel everything is spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. We have to pray about it. We have to do this. So I decided, okay, let me start MRKH Nigeria. So just put the word out there that this thing, you, this thing does exist in Nigeria and around the world. And because of the way Nigerians are taking it, makes it very hard for others to know about it. That's why I started MRKH Nigeria, to spread the word and see if I can connect with other people that have the same issue. And I started last year, October, and I've been able to get in touch with two people that have the same MRKH I was going to ask Nigeria. if you've met anyone, if you've met anyone yet in Nigeria. Uh, yes. Yeah, I've met mm -hmm. two people. I've not met, I didn't see them, but they just reached out to me on phone mm -hmm. in Nigeria. They just reached out to me on phone that they have MRKH and uh, not even they have MRKH. They actually say their symptoms look exactly like mm -hmm. what I described. So I actually give them um i give them the num the contact of the doctor i was diagnosed with and i told them more about mrkh um i told them about dilution mm. i told them about um ivf and surrogacy and the rest so that's basically what i do oh you're such an amazing advocate just for i feel like it must have been so lonely as well and like just in comparison to the UK, we might find, I don't know, 40, 50 
people just because there's so the stigma is there but it's so much less and I know that you said about the stigma in Nigeria and the cultural aspect of everything and it's infertility is probably so silenced isn't it and that must have been really really hard so how did you feel Elizabeth when you were I know you sort of had an inkling you had it when you were younger but when you were actually diagnosed how did you feel how did it affect like your um I don't know like your identity and confidence I guess when I was diagnosed um I felt I felt what I actually said to myself was that there must have been a reason it happened. Um, I know God might have a reason it happened. So I just decided, okay, if this is what God wants it to be, then let it be that way. There must be a reason. So if he wants me to maybe reach out to others, and I knew I wasn't the only one. I knew I wouldn't be the only one. And there will be others, but I knew what all happens in Nigeria, so I just said, okay. I know mistakes don't really happen in creation. Mm. Well, if that is what you have been created as, then why not live your best life like that? Oh, that's such a lovely thought. And I guess the reason you've got MRKH is because you were going to be the one to start the support network for other people that needed you. Sorry for that. No, it's okay. Anytime you need to, it's absolutely fine. Um, Yeah, no, I I mean, I guess, like you said, the reason you have MRKH is because you've been able to help others so well. And it's just a nice feeling to think that we were given this because of the way that we were going to handle it and the fact that we we can handle it. Um, you touched a minute ago, Elizabeth, on um, advising some of the people that you found of MRKH about dilating. How did you access that information and where did you find, did you get medical support on dilating or was it more online through the charity, our charities? Okay, I found out about the dilation when um, on um, MRKH Connect mm. was where I found out about dilation and my doctor actually didn't tell me anything about the relation. They just told me about um, they told me about the operation. They they've done they successfully done the operation in a country. So um, I found out about um, um, the relation um, on MRKH Connect. Though after a series of my research, I found out that there is a surgical method for opening the vaginal canal. And before you go through those surgical um, procedures, you still need to try dilation. Mm. So I tried assessing the dilators in Nigeria, but they were actually, there was no dilator in Nigeria. What they had was the medical dilator, the steel medical dilator. The oh, steel medical you, dilator, yeah. Like smear tests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was what they had in Nigeria. And I knew that was not the dilator I was seeing. Um, because while looking for dilators, I went to Intimate Rose, Intimate Rose dilators. I went to their website. Mm. So I saw the dilators. Then I went on, um, the dilators were quite expensive, yeah. $75 then. So I went on um, Amazon and I got it cheaper there. Mm. I started my dilation 
gradually. So it's a boring, it's a very boring procedure. But um, I guess it's needed. So I started my dilation and I continued. That was where I knew about dilation. That's how it went. And did you did you speak to any like friends or family about your experiences, especially when it came to like dilation? Because I remember doing it even when I was 16 and didn't tell anyone just because I was really embarrassed by it. So how did you feel throughout that process? I guess I actually didn't tell anyone. I've mm. not told anyone about dilation. I still hide I still hide my dilators mm. because of the um the culture, yeah. I still hide my dialysis. Then um, I only spoke with my mom. But my mom knew about MRKH. I told her everything, every finding I got, I told her about MRKH. Then I kind of broke it to my childhood friends last year. Last year, December, was when I broke it to my childhood friends because I just had to tell them, okay, I'm opening um, MRKH Nigeria. I'm coming out with it. And I didn't want to. I didn't want you guys to be the last people mm. to know about it or to find out about it online. So here I am. I'm just showing it to you. This is it. So my mom, my sister, and my friends are the only one who know. And how did you feel when you were talk to your friends about it? Did it feel like a real relief? Like a something? Yeah, like it felt like a huge relief. It was a huge relief of as it was a huge load lifted off my shoulders when I spoke to them about um, having MRKH. And they were like, oh, there's no big deal. We'll find a solution for it. Um, we would look for every, um, every means to find a solution to it. So it was kind of, it was kind of relieving speaking to someone about it. Then another relieving part is when you're able to see people come out or reach out to you with that same issue. Mm. It's always relieving that, okay, people, the mindset is being changed here. The culture is being bent a little. People are now coming out about it. So it's a big relief, it's a huge relief. Oh, that's amazing. And I can still appreciate that it's still so hard and it must feel daunting every day to be online talking about it. Yeah. Um, how do you find your advocacy work? How's that going? Are you, I know that you said two people have got in touch already. Has there been any more? What are your plans, I guess, with MRKH Nigeria and what do you see like the future holding for your platform, your amazing platform? <laughs> Um, what I what I see about MRKH Nigeria is I want to move further. I'm looking at um, importing other um, more dilators for those who just found out and are unable to get. I'm thinking of I'm looking at importing more for them, and I'm looking at connecting with a particular doctor who can help in giving talks and the rest to people that have um, MRKH Nigeria. And nobody has offered to help with running MRKH Nigeria. And I'm doing it solo. So it's kind of it's kind of tough handling your job in Nigeria. I need to work. I have my own business. I'm handling MRKH Nigeria. It's a lot. But I'm trying. 
I'm trying. We're all here to help you, Elizabeth. If you ever, ever need anything, just let us know. Okay. <laughs> that would be great. You're doing, yeah, you're doing such an amazing job. And I feel so have you met um have you met the people that reached out to you in, in real in real life or was it was it just a virtual messaging relationship? It was a virtual messaging relationship. Mm -hmm. I've not met them in person. It was, a, it was strictly virtual. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. I'm back. <laughs> okay. You like you're juggling oh, work, juggling advocacy, yeah. juggling a podcast. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's it's tough. That's why most times I don't I don't do much on the um I don't do much on the internet on the website on the space. So because it's much I'm doing a lot. I'm doing a lot, so I don't really do much on the platform. I'm just trying to carry it along and the rest. If I had someone that would help me drop content and the rest, it would be a blessing. But until then, I'm trying to speak with someone to join in and like, well, we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. At oh, least the sense. word is out. I've been able to reach some people. I've been able to touch some people. So um, that's good. That's good to a level. To an amount, I think the thing is with advocacy, like whenever we start, we always feel like there's not, we're not doing enough. But the fact yeah. that you've done it and you've already changed a life is like phenomenal. Like it's, it's amazing. And I think yeah. doing it somewhere where there's so much stigma, like you said, and that actually MRKH isn't really well known, well known, the medical staff aren't really able to help. Like you've you've been the one to change however many people's lives and and that will, I'm sure will continue. So just you being there and you're like, think of like you're what, 26? So in that, however many years before, there's been no one in Nigeria doing what you're doing. So that's what I think is amazing. Yeah. Like, in so like in so much awe of so many global advocates doing like I don't know just things in countries where you just haven't had that support um so in the medical team that you were diagnosed with are they going to be supporting you in any way have you spoken to them about maybe helping with getting to know MRKH more being a bit more I don't know getting them to learn a bit more about it or anything like that um I'm still in communication with them hmm. though they didn't really offer much but I'm still speaking with them. Um, the thing is, I'm not really all about myself. I'm not really thinking about myself now. I'm thinking about at least getting the word out there. Mm. So um, I'm just trying the relation and I'm seeing how it goes, but I'm not really in a hurry. I'm not really in a hurry. No, of course. And I think like, maybe your kind of priority is just making sure the next person being diagnosed has a better experience. Yeah. 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 So how's your um, MRKH impacted your relationships, Elizabeth? Is there any, anything you wanted to share on relationships or anything like that? You don't have to, but. <laughs> MRKH, um, when you are diagnosed with MRKH, it actually leaves a scar. No, no matter how we try to um, 
try to live life and feel happy about it, it actually is scarce. So it affects a lot. It affects you. Um, it affects your relationship. Affects the others. So whenever, um, whenever I find someone, maybe someone I like, and we're about to go into a relationship, it's the first thing I tell the person to know if they'll be comfortable with it. So if they're not comfortable with it, I don't see a reason beating around the bush. They're not comfortable with it. Okay, fine. We can be friends and everybody moves on. But it's it's affected, it's affected my relationship. Um as I said, when I found out I had a marriage, actually, it actually changed my outlook on life itself, changed my outlook on everything. So because like I a reborn, a rebirth. So I had to I had to learn how to live with it and learn how to live alone. Mm. Hoping or hopefully one day I meet someone who is comfortable with it. And do you have any like, I don't know, advice for other people with MRKH in Nigeria who are looking into relationships and how to, I don't know, how to cope with that, um, someone saying that they're, they're not happy with it. Cause that must feel, that must be really hard. Really hard. Okay. I was just gonna say, if you've got, um, first of all, you're a beautiful human being and anyone would be lucky to have you. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. But I also wanted to say, if you've got any advice for another person that might have MRKH or infertility, like dating, and being like almost that rejection feeling. Have you got any advice for someone coping with that feeling? Okay. Um, my advice for them is it's not the end of the world. Stuff like this happen. Um, though it's, oh, what I tend to look at is it's not my fault it happened to me. Mm. It's not my fault it happened to me. I didn't go wrong in any way that made it happen to me. So as long as um, it doesn't really cost me, as long as it doesn't cost me physical pain, mm. I'm comfortable living with it. So my advice to them is just take it slowly. It's not the end of the world. Try as much as possible to enjoy life, enjoy your journey. And there's no need for us. Eventually everything will fall into place. So most times when I'm feeling down, feeling sad, I just think about the fact that there are other people that actually menstruate and have um, a womb, but they still can't have a child. So being this, there's actually no difference. Infertility is infertility. Mm -hmm. It can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. So live life and enjoy it. Oh, I love that. And also never be in a rush. So I messaged Elizabeth before yeah. the podcast just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm running late. You, what was your advice to me when I said that? <laughs> 
Oh, my advice to you is um, you are always in the right place. You're, there's no need for us. You're always in the right place at the right time. There is, um, life is not a race, actually. It's a journey, and you're supposed to enjoy that journey. So the rush takes out the enjoyment from the journey. So to avoid that, you need to take things slow. Just go with the flow. We all we all create this um we all create this um goal that we want to achieve by something. Um, as I said, Nigeria is a very very religious country, so we create roles that we try to achieve during this period of time before this without this. But in Nigeria, we say if God doesn't say it will happen, it won't happen. So we will kind of take things slow, relax and enjoy it. The priority here is that your body feels happy mm. in that journey. So that's it. I feel like I'm in like coaching with Elizabeth, like meditation set. And that was such a, such a nice, just a nice thought process I was going through. I was like, I need to just settle down, go with the flow, live in the moment. <laughs> Yeah, living the moment, enjoy every moment. Oh, you're such a shining light to my brain, which is constantly busy. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> so busy. <laughs> you touched on um IVF and I think surrogacy or fertility earlier. Can can I just ask because I don't know much about fertility and treatment um and your well the opportunity for someone with, that has infertility or MRKH to have children um, is well, what, the, what are the kind of laws in Nigeria and the costs oh. when it comes to fertility treatment? Oh, fertility treatment, it's pretty expensive in Nigeria. It's pretty expensive. Um, surrogacy, the last time I checked, surrogacy was 11 million naira in Nigeria mm -hmm. for surrogacy. I think 11 million naira just to be sure, let me, sorry, okay, 11 million naira in US dollars is um, $26,466. Oh, wow. Because I just, yeah, oh. I was just Googling it as well. I was typing 11 million <laughs> Nigerian naira in pounds and it says 21,000 pounds. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah, really expensive. Really, really, really expensive. Yeah, so um, um, that's for surrogacy. IVF, I, thought, I think IVF was around 15 million and such. Um, so it's pretty expensive. But what I advise people that would like to have kids um, with infertilities to try the option of adoption. Because that is a bit cheaper. I think adoption is, is 1 million to 2 million naira in Nigeria. So it's a bit cheaper than um, IVF and surrogacy. But um, in Nigeria, some people have gone through the process of paying people money. Like in Nigeria, there is a lot of selling of children and the rest. You give birth, so someone gives birth, the person sells the person's child. Though that is illegal in Nigeria, 
But most people with infertility go through that process because it's quite cheaper than IVF and um, um, surrogacy. But that's, um, that's illegal in Nigeria. So when you talk about adoption, adoption is strictly under government. You get adoption under government. That is why it's that price. You get adoption under government. So it's only government that is authorized to give out to give out to a kid to um, a foster parent uh, rest. So that's what it is in Nigeria. It's not really easy. The waiting list, the adoption waiting list is this long. It takes a lot of time. Mm. So the, the key word is to start early, start processing early, start processing early. So you'd be able to get, I say that there's a lot of love to give. There's a lot of love to give. Um, there's a lot of love to give even people that are not yours biologically. Mm. So we should not always box ourselves um, in the in the biological process of having um, children, so we can always think outside the box and do other methods, IVF, surrogacy, and um, adoption. So IVF is quite expensive. Mm. Surrogacy is very expensive. So the last wow. option is adoption. No, thank you for sharing. I, I just had no idea. I think every single country is so different when it comes to like some in some places surrogacy is completely illegal and obviously in Nigeria you've got people like selling um or taking money for children which is obviously illegal as well but it's just fast but then I guess because people just can't afford certain things and they really want yeah. children then they're almost resorting to stuff that is illegal because that's just that's all they can do and they want to fulfill a dream or like a, a human right almost that we should be able to children if you want them and not everyone wants children um, so how do you feel about it is it something that you've looked into yourself when i was younger i always wanted to be a mom i always wanted to be a mom but um i guess i started feeling there was something wrong from um from quite a very tender age i started having the feeling that something is not right so I wasn't really, I, every girl has the fantasy of becoming a mom one day, mm. walking down the aisle and the rest. But as a kid, I had that same fantasy. Mm. But as I said, no, dreams change. Then finding out there's another way to achieve such dreams, it's amazing. It's amazing. No, it's, and what have you learned about yourself through your MRKH diagnosis? I've learned patience. I've learned patience a lot. I've learned forgiveness, patience, forgiveness, and I've learned to love to help others. So that's what I've learned. That's what MRKH taught me. MRKH taught me patience. It taught me to love life. 
taught me to love life, taught me to enjoy life. Forgive, um, have compassion for others. It's really, it's really, it's, it's life-changing. I'm putting it that way. Life-changing. No, that's really, no, that is lovely. And I think that's so true. Like we, I don't, like we're born without certain parts of our bodies that society tells us we should have. But I did this little workshop before called like your womb space and what is in your, like we've obviously got no womb, but we're filled with so much more. And my nan actually, yeah. my grandma gave me a quote once is that our children may not grow under our hearts, but they'll grow into our hearts, <laughs> which is like, yeah, yeah that was like right. if we do have kids, whether they're biologically related to us, whether we carry them, obviously we most probably won't because we haven't got a womb. Um, I know some people go through womb transplants and whatnot. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's nice to think. I think it's really nice to think of what we do have and what we've learned from it. And I think compassion, what you said there is like a big thing for me. Like I definitely feel a lot of like compassion and gratitude for everything that I do have as well. Um, yeah. So how, how are you feeling now about your, I know it was like, well, it's only been a year since you've actually known properly about it, but how, how are you feeling like in yourself and are you, um, is there anything that I don't know that affects you more emotionally at the moment and how and how do you cope with that I know you said earlier about how you cope with some of the bad days but what is it that you're struggling with most at the moment to kind of process with MRKH um actually I've processed a lot and I felt okay um to leave um I felt there is no need um like the kind of person I am when I find out something, maybe a mistake or something, instead of dwelling on that mistake, I always seek for a solution mm -hmm. immediately. So I'm not really dwelling on the fact that I have this, but starting to seek for solutions and help others during the process, that, that has been like, that has been my strength. That has been my strength. Just um, getting the help I need, getting solutions, looking for solutions, looking for different ways of doing things. Like yesterday, I found out um, breastfeeding can be induced. I yes, found out that yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we never knew about it here. I only knew about it yesterday when I read up. Uh, I read. Uh, I read um, a write-up of someone that I think she posted it on MROKH Connect or so. So I read about it and I was like, wow. So it really was. So um, women, a lot of women, like in Nigeria, that is years back, I had, there was a, there was, when I was a kid, I heard of something. There are some women with infertility that when they, when they have, when they adopt children or go through IVF for the rest, and maybe the husband's relatives come to victim, they're always looking at the woman to know if she breastfeed the child, to know if she was the one that actually gave birth to the child. So finding out that actually it can be induced both in male and female, I was like, wow. So we've been ignorant all this while. We could actually do this and no one knew about it. 
And like, yeah, like it, even adopted babies, some some people do induce breastfeeding. Yeah. So like, it, yeah, it, I, I think our bodies are just amazing. <laughs> and just yeah, good. our body is amazing, and um, the sex organ is very amazing. The ability to heal itself, the whole body, the ability to heal itself mm. of any injury or sickness is amazing. So. I was just like, wow, yesterday. I, I had to write the comment. I was like, wow, in the comment. Wow, I'm just hearing about this. I never knew this happened. So it was amazing. It was uh, it was a beautiful news. It was a beautiful write-up. And I was like, okay, no problem. I can spread the word. So yesterday I talked about it on WhatsApp. I talked about it on WhatsApp and the rest so I was like okay no problem so I think it will go a long way in helping other women so have you got a whatsapp group then with other MRKH people in Nigeria is it like a whatsapp community we don't have a whatsapp community yet we don't have a whatsapp community oh sorry yet. I thought I'm you meant trying... you were talking about breastfeeding on whatsapp no, um, yeah, I was just talking about it like on my personal page. Ah, sorry. <laughs> I was like, just I was asking a question. Uh, who knew breastfeeding could be induced? And actually, no one knew. Yeah, I don't think I I didn't know that for ages until I read about it like two or three years ago. So it is like a really nice feeling to know that even though we can't give birth, one day you we might be, we might be able, yeah, we might be able to breastfeed our baby saying that my friend is breastfeeding at the moment and just said it's she's having a really horrifically painful time with it um and then my other friend who's actually got mrk she tried the inducing and just said i couldn't be bothered it was just too much stress i just wanted to be there for my so i feel like there's lots of different feelings about it and i think you have to take certain hormone drugs and stuff before you start yeah. so it would be good actually maybe if someone out there maybe we could do it together elizabeth is sort of look into what the process is for um inducing breastfeeding and maybe write a little blog about it just because I think I don't think I even know the beginning to end process of it yeah we could actually do it we could actually do it I was thinking about um trying to do that yesterday I actually had to check all the drugs you need to hmm. induce the um, induce breastfeeding and I was like okay let me just try it so we could actually do we could write a book about it Oh no, it's, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm going to have to go and research it after. Um, can I just ask about your sex education when you were when you were younger? Did you, what is the sort of sex education curriculum like in Nigeria? Is there much of it or, or not really? Um, sex education in Nigeria, um, we are just, um, in Nigeria, we are just, introducing sex education into the educational system. Mm. So it was not always talked about culture doesn't allow culture doesn't allow us to discuss about sexual education. Even till date, sometimes I talk about um, sex in front of my mom and she's like, I should stop mentioning the words. I should stop mentioning sex. And I keep telling her this thing everybody knows about it. Even kids now know about sex. Mm. So we need to educate them so they don't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. They don't make mistakes of being um, 
of being teenage parents and the rest. So unwanted pregnancy and the rest. So the the need for sex education is is very high in Nigeria. Um, our parents didn't talk about it. Our parents didn't even practice PDA in Nigeria. Mm. You hardly see your parents kiss in Nigeria. So it was when I was growing up, it was kind of zero. Mm. We had to hear about it outside and not inside. So, so it's like you're doesn't really good. yourself just by looking at things and yeah. hearing, hearing stories and looking yeah. at things. I think um, my first year in the university, I that was the first time I was doing sex education. My first year in university. So now sex education is not like a cost on its own. Sex education is like incorporated into science courses mm -hmm. in Nigeria. So it's not really spoken about much here. They're still covering yeah. it. Because even like there's there's certain things like a, if you were taught when you were younger that some young females don't start their periods and you just would have known and been a bit more aware of it. And that's probably how yeah. the sort of things that could be involved. Yeah, if I was told that, okay. Um, I remember in my, um, in my um, college days, I remember a teacher of mine, while we were praying, she said we should thank God. Because I went to, a, to an all-girls school. So she was saying we should thank God that some people are born, that some people are born without vagina. Mm. They have to do the surgery for the vagina. Her friend just went for the surgery. So we should thank God that we are made whole, we are made normal. So there I was praying, not knowing that I am having the same. Not mm. knowing that I'm having the same thing she was talking about. So I think that was when I actually heard it. So when I found out about me having the marriage, I was like, oh, so this was actually what she said that day about her friend not having a vagina and they had to create a vagina from her, for her, stuff like that. So I was like, okay. I really didn't know it would happen to me. Mm. Yeah, I was thanking God that I don't have it. And later to find out I have it. So, so, so something else. Just a shock to the system. Yeah, I remember that feeling, feeling like Googling it and hearing about it and going, I hope that's not me. I hope that's not me. And I personally thought that mine was like a thick hymen. Like, like it wouldn't, I could yeah. just couldn't put anything inside and, and it will break and it will be fine and everything's going to be fine and my period will start soon. And obviously it never did. And the penny drops, it's like something a lot bigger than that. <laughs> Is there anything else that you wanted to share, Elizabeth, just about your experiences in uh, as a woman with MRKH in Nigeria? Um, my experience with MRKH in Nigeria, it's been covered. I don't really talk much about it. And most times when I speak with people, they talk about their period, they talk about, and I'm like, yeah, the period pain, it's always so painful, I can't, I'm just, Lying, just going with the flow, just so that I won't be like, oh no, I don't go, I don't go through that, mm -hmm. and they will start asking questions. So I just go with whatever they are saying, whatever I've learned about period, I just go with it. 
So I don't really speak much. There is actually no experience. It's just like you are part, you are other, you have, it's just like we live here, like we have it. Um, we just, we just behave as if all is good, all is, all is well. That's how we are. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so it's more of a, just kind of a secret that you're living with, apart from with your, obviously with your mum and your yeah. couple of your friends. Well, I just hope that doing what you're doing, you're going to build like an amazing community in Nigeria. And it sounds like you're well on the way to doing that already. Um, and maybe like you said before about the fact that MRKH is very similar to every, anyone else with infertility. Maybe they, I don't know if there's any like, have you come across any infertility support groups in Nigeria at all? Yeah, there are infertility support groups in Nigeria. Mm. Like I said, times are changing. People are beginning to speak up mm. about things like this. So there are little support groups in Nigeria. Infertility is known, but infertility is known as someone having a womb and mm can't make children, not someone without a womb. So there's actually a difference. So even when you tell them about, okay, I have infertility, I don't have a womb. They'll be like, what's the procedure? What happened? Was it mistakenly removed or was it damaged or what? Mm. So that's the question. Yeah, it must, must, must be so hard because I think it's just, just so much stigma, isn't there? And, and culturally around not having a womb and I remember when I was younger I used to say my I, I hated that term not having anything like an abs like not having a vagina not having a womb I just hated that term like the language and I preferred saying yeah. it's underdeveloped I have some of it just not all of it because it made me feel better like it had started it started developing just didn't carry on <laughs> yeah it makes you feel a little bit better when you say it's underdeveloped not like I don't have it. Yeah, it's underdeveloped. Well, I even I even tried taking um hormonal pills to try to see if it would grow to what it's actually supposed to be. But I actually gained weight with the hormonal pills, so I had to stop. It's interesting that because I think there's been a few people here that I've met that have been given when they were first went to the doctors they gave them hormonal pills to say oh this will help you kickstart your period so I think it's like a it isn't it's almost even I think globally there's this medical thing that's the causes I think it's called amory I can't pronounce it to be honest primary amoremia and it's basically <laughs> anyone that does anyone that doesn't have a period or anyone that is like a young female who's typically supposed to start a period and they give them hormonal drugs to start. And I think with their market age, they tend to dish them out as well to go, there you go, take them, and hopefully you'll start soon. Yeah. Ask you what your, if you could describe your relationship you have with yourself and your body, what would that, how would that be? <laughs> In one word, I'll say I'm grateful. I'm grateful to my body. For being who is who I am, for being who I am, um, I'm grateful to my body. I'm grateful to my body for giving me, um, for giving me 
orgasm. I'm grateful to my body. I'm grateful for life. There's actually nothing. I don't actually see my body as lacking anything. I don't actually see myself as lacking something. I see myself as that's the way I'm supposed to be. That's the body I'm supposed to come with. So I'm grateful that I came with this body. I'm grateful that I'm actually grateful to the market for teaching me more that there's more to life. I'm actually grateful. Oh, that's so beautiful, Elizabeth. Thank you. And have you got any advice to just to finish off to the next person being diagnosed with MRKH, which is what we like to end all the episodes with? Okay. Um, love yourself, love your body. Love yourself, love your body. You are going to remain with this body. You're going to retain this body throughout your journey in life. So there's a need for you to love your body and yourself. So just love yourself, love your body. Take life easy. Don't be too hard on yourself. Take life easy. Everything will fall into place eventually. Everything will fall into place. Um, everything will fall into place eventually. Everything will be all right. Would be would definitely be fine. Oh, I've nearly had a tear in my eye. Then someone walked in the room. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's really like it's been so so lovely to talk to you, and I feel like I've learned so much. So I just wanted to thank you really because I know it's not easy, given that to a certain extent, MRKH is something you do live with privately and you're trying to make a difference in the world and for the people and girls in Africa and Nigeria but at the same time you still want to keep your private life private so it's yeah it's it's I'm really grateful for you just for coming on and sharing your truth and your vulnerability and just talking openly about everything because it can't be easy given that it's not something you're used to doing <laughs> with yeah. people but also maybe it's uh, almost to speak to us like we're a safe space all of us people that yeah. have MRKH. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, for coming on the podcast. And I can't wait to carry on. Thank you. For, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks to MRKH community. Thanks to my MRKH sisters. They've taught me a lot. They've taught me a lot. And I'm still learning. And hopefully we get better. It gets better. Hopefully it gets better. I hope so too. And I also hope that all of our worldwide charities can just continue supporting different areas of the world. Cause yeah, no, I'd love to love to work with you and help out in any way that I can. But yeah, I really appreciate that was lovely. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on and we'll we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Oh, I, I'll Thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. We will have regular new episodes, so please follow and subscribe. If you want to come for a chat, get in touch. And to everyone with MRKH, you are not alone.